Hey, have you heard about our all-new free PDF that you can download? It's called Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. And if you're a couple that has done the date nights and attended the relationship retreats and learned the communication skills, read the latest books on marriage, but you still find yourself stuck in a loop of pain and frustration, then this PDF is for you. If one moment everything is fine and the next moment everything feels crazy and that is familiar, I encourage you to go to restoringthesoul.com, scroll down, fill in your email, and get the free copy of our all-new PDF, Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. You're going to find it very helpful. Most people feel like they read this and they wonder if we've been reading their mail. They say, this is us. It's going to be of help. Check it out now at restoringthesoul.com. Questions haunt every life, writes Andy Crouch. The first, what are we meant to be? The second, why are we so far from what we're meant to be? Welcome to Restoring the Soul. I'm Michael John Cusick, and this is the podcast that helps you close the gap between what you're meant to be and what keeps you from being all that. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the program. This is Michael, and today is part two of a two-part conversation with Stacy Eldridge, who is New York Times bestselling author for her book Captivating, as well as Love and War, that she co-authored with her husband, John. And in this episode, we are talking about her new book, Defiant Joy. Uh, Stacy and her work in ministry uh, can be found at ransomedheart.com, which is a ministry in Colorado Springs, where she's involved in leading captivating retreats and conferences, doing writing, and uh, just creating work and resources around the restoration of the heart. In this conversation in particular, I'm excited for you to hear the conversation around how joy comes out of places of struggle and pain, and as Stacy says, out of our present reality and not out of a place of where we should be. And to me, that was an encouraging thought. Because uh, so much of my understanding of joy early on as a follower of Jesus had to do with joy almost being some kind of a pretending, saccharine, superficial thing. And this book and this conversation really helped reorient me to the understanding of what joy really is. So let's jump into part two of my conversation with Stacy Eldridge about Defiant Joy. Stacy, would you honor our listeners and myself with reading a passage from your new book? I would love to. This is from chapter two called The Cup. It begins, sometimes I feel as though I am standing outside my own life, looking through a plate glass window that I cannot pass through. On the other side are those I love. I watch my husband and sons play with a freedom and ease of soul that is foreign to me. Their otherness... No, my otherness weighs my heart down, frequently making it impossible for me to enter into their joy. My immediate family is a close one. My husband and I, together with our sons and their wives, can talk honestly about matters of the heart. Difficult subjects need to be handled with care, but we are committed to the dialogue because we are committed to one another. And yet, so frequently, though loved and loving, I feel like an island set apart from their land of mystery. 
I've also been on the other side of the plate glass window from other women, noticing as they share glances and inside jokes of connection and friendship and wondering at their intimacy. Friends respond to invitations on Facebook to parties I was not party to. People speak of movies and books they love that I have tried to watch or read, but too often after a few few minutes have shaken my head in dismay and walked away. I do not share many, oh, so many of my friends and family's experiences. I don't fit. I'm outside. Something must be bent and broken within me. Thank you. That was so beautiful. Uh, You're a great writer. I loved reading um, your book and the imagery and just thank you for that. Um, That particular passage, I think, gives you instant credibility with so many people who go, wow, I thought I was the only other, the only one who, uh, who was on the other side of the glass window. And in the very next paragraph or so, you actually said that you had a conversation with your family about this, which is a pretty vulnerable thing to do. And, and tell me what their reaction was and did that surprise you? Well, they nodded. They nodded in recognition and in a, in a shared experience. And it did surprise me that each one of them particularly had a different look on their face of, of yes. And I love kind of discovering this and saying some things out loud because you really find that, oh, oh, it isn't just me. This is actually the human condition. This not, it's not good to be alone, but so we feel alone. And, and just to name it and go, you, you're actually not alone in that. I write that loneliness isn't lonely. So, so it was amazing to me to go, wow, there, there is so much that we share just because we are, we are men and women living in this world, east of Eden, and, and it helps to bring compassion for one another, but also on ourselves to go, oh, I'm not just a freak of nature. Like this is actually something that I share with many, many, many people. Well, thank you for sharing that in the book. Um, I sure resonated with the part about the, uh, the movies. I, I quoted Star Trek earlier, but I'm a total poser because I've never seen an episode of Star Trek. I saw the <laughs> I saw the first Star Wars and none of the others. And then, you know, I, I've gone to boot camp and things like that. And people are talking about all these movies. They're so masculine and cool. And I'm like, nope, haven't seen that one. Haven't seen that one. <laughs> and and oh, I you, try. And I'm no, like, you have to tell me a favorite movie now. And I'm so curious. Oh, my favorite movie might be, oh, this is embarrassing, but Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Oh, I can sing the song for you. Me too. Am I, we actually, we have a daughter, uh, a daughter from China we adopted and I wrote a, a song to the tune of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. But, uh, but yeah, that's one of my movies. Uh, what about Bob? And, oh, uh, come on. Great movie. Good Will Hunting. Oh, okay. There you go. Weighty, weighty movies. Now I, on the other hand, am a Trekkie. I grew up being nursed on Live Long and Prosper, which is a Vulcan greeting. Right, right. But um, yeah, thanks for saying. See, I love that. I love see where we have so much in common and we are unique too. So we need each other. Yeah. So you talked about this prosperity approach um, where it's name and claim it. You talked about what I'll call a scarcity approach where we kind of settle and say grief is not there. But you then really the whole rest of the book, you unpack God's 
designed for joy and how we get there. And you launched that out with the metaphor of the cup, the cup of salvation and the, the cup of suffering. So can you talk a little bit about what that third way is? Well, there's a, there's a way that you have to walk through it. Um, when things happen, we can, we really have a choice to make in all of it. To hope is a choice. To despair is a choice. To blame God for things or um, invite him in that we might bear it together. That's, that's a choice. The cup is something that really surprised me in doing studies on, on the cup the take this cup from me, the, the literal cup and all that it meant and all that it signified and stood for and to learn that the cup of suffering actually is also the cup of salvation. It is the cup of joy. So you cannot live in denial over your life and have and come to know a true joy. And you know this so well. If we're pretending that life is better than it is or we're happy when we're not or um, things are going better than they are, then we're not living in reality. And God invites us to have a relationship with him as the person that we are. I got just got to stop you. This is the T-shirt that we're going to make from this interview. Uh, here's the here's the quote. The takeaway I think is, you said something that just stopped me. You cannot know joy if you live in denial. Go back and just say more about that because that sounds really profound. Um, it it comes down to an honesty, a truthfulness, an authenticity, and we can't run from our lives or the story of our lives and, and live with an integrity and a deep knowing of God. We're, we have to walk with him through, through the mess, through the story, through reality. And when we turn from it, uh, I mean, you know, not like a little escape, a movie, a book, whatever, we got to take some time out. But if we refuse to engage the reality of our lives or the story of our lives or the current situation and just, pretend like it didn't happen or it's not happening, then, then we will not know God in those places. We will miss out on a relationship and a helper and a friend and a savior and one who can restore us because we're, we're preventing him, refusing to allow him entrance into our lives. So on a real concrete level, uh, somebody who is out of control with an addiction who says, oh, it's really not that bad. And, you know, next week I'm going to meet with a friend and learn, you know, the secret to overcome this or somebody that has abuse in their background and says, oh, it really didn't affect me. Or somebody that says, no, you know, I had a miscarriage and, you know, God's going to provide. Those are the kinds of uh, denials or creating our own reality that keeps us from uh, drinking the cup of joy and from having that joy. Those are the kinds of things you're talking about? Exactly what I'm talking about. Exactly. And then, and then Jesus comes along and says, the truth will set you free. There's the connection, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I know that there's a timing issue. When I, in my family growing up, I had an alcoholic father who raged and it wasn't a safe, it wasn't a safe home. And I hid my personality, hid my heart. And when it was too much, I hid in the closet, literally, for hours and hours and hours. It was the safe thing to do. It was actually the wise thing to do. But as an adult, I don't need to hide in the closet anymore. So the invitation is to come out and in safety begin to 
address things in my own life in a context of, of safety and, and, you know, whatever that's going to look like for a person, whether that's with a counselor or with a trusted friend, or it begins with journaling, but to acknowledge the story of your life, the reality, and to feel it, to actually grieve and, and weep over the things that should never have happened or the things that you should have had and never did. And, and, and then invite Jesus to meet you in there. He loves to come. My, my, one of my favorite prayers is Jesus, meet me here. Just come into this, this place now. Yeah, I forgot who it was. Maybe some Catholic saint who said that the only place in the universe that God can meet you in is in your present reality. Exactly. Perfect. When I run from my reality, I, I'm running from him. And and I, I just want to just exude mercy onto people, just mercy, 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 that this book is not about getting your act together. It's, it's not about doing one more thing in order to have joy. It's really about that inviting Jesus in and that you matter, your story matters, and you're not alone in it. And in this place, God wants you to know him in such a way that you're not going to be thrown. There's a ballast to your ship that you won't be thrown, that you can be in reality and not run from it. And know the biggest reality, the biggest reality is that you are loved. God is here right now, moved heaven and earth for you. And, and a great good is coming your way. We do have a hope. Just so wonderful. And when you speak of this, it, uh, it, it, there's such a reality to it in your own life because I know that you have uh, battled and fought and struggled hard. Even as you started out the interview, chronic pain, um, tragic loss for your children and everything else that you've gone through with the loss of friends. And it's something that you've clearly walked this path. There's just no way to joy without somehow going through the crucifixion. It sounds like. It's really true. It's true. The crucifixion precedes the resurrection. But, but when we come to God in those places of disappointment, of sorrow, of loss, you actually can come to look back on those times and call them sacred because of what you have come to know about the heart of God for you through those and in those moments blows my mind but I know this to be true in my own life and in countless other people's lives where they say I would not wish that on anyone right I wouldn't trade it for anything because of what I experienced and came to know of God through it yeah I sure I sure can testify to that and I would even say that when something becomes sacred like that it really becomes a gift and, and not that we would go out looking for those things because they're all always, you know, either right in front of us or on top of us or just a millimeter beneath our skin, but uh, they really are gifts. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I'm saying that right now and I believe it. When I wrote the book, I, I was preceding a hip replacement surgery that I didn't know I needed. So I was doing like physical therapy and chiropractor and getting to the place where I had to cling to the sides of things and just excruciating pain. I couldn't shop anymore, couldn't cook, couldn't do laundry, all of that. Well, I had the hip replacement surgery, didn't go great, and now my other hip needs it. Oh, so. oh. 
So now, I'm, you know, I wrote the book a while ago, but now I'm in the midst of it again. And just, it's like, you just get taken to the mat. When you say you believe something, mm. and it's just like, yeah, yeah, do you believe it? I do believe it. I do believe it. And, and yeah, this, I'm going to be impressed. And I go ahead, God, and impress me one more time to be able to say, like, this is actually a gift because of the weakness because of what I need, because of what I'm receiving, because of what I'm learning, and what I'm coming to know of what you suffered for me. May, may it be. And that believing, um, and again, I, I know this about you from the community that you're a part of and from your, your previous books, but that you're not referring to believing just propositions of Christianity, but you're referring to a deep, deep knowing in your heart something that's, you know, way beyond facts, even though they are facts. Yeah, it is that, that from head knowledge to heart knowledge, that, that whole thing, how many inches is that? Eight, 12 inches, the furthest thing to, but, but we don't need, I don't, I don't need more head knowledge about who Jesus is. I need an experience of him. I need to encounter him, his, his love in a personal way. So yes, I, um, that began a long time ago when I when I started learning that the word beloved meant me. I thought mm-hmm. it was a word that was for weddings. You know, dearly beloved. It's a special gathering at a wedding. It's called the beloved. But learning that Jesus calls me his beloved and you listening, he calls you his beloved. Um, I would say, yeah, is that really true? And is that if that's really true, then can you show me that? And and he started opening up the scriptures to me, but I also began to hear his voice deep in my heart and having him calling me precious names. The first time he, I heard him call me my darling and I went, <gasps> is that okay? <laughs> is that okay? The God of the universe can call me that. And that night I opened up in my, I opened up the Bible and I went to song of songs where he said, how beautiful you are, my darling. And I went, mm. oh, that was you. So that intimate, conversational know him he's a person he's alive he has a personality that we get to have a relationship with him it's it's um it's changed everything for me i i love how uh childlike and innocent the phrase that you used is is would you show me you know just just like a child to a parent like well let's go do that you know as opposed to engaging in a uh, an analytical uh, apologetic kind of thing. And, and it seems so simple yet there's a vulnerability in that just saying, well, will you show me? And I know for myself, it's like, I just anticipate being disappointed if I was to say that to God. So I've had to cultivate that. It is something I have to cultivate to risk it, but I really think it's worth the risk because it's so fun. The way he comes, I just thought of another story of how he came. This is early on that he, cause he uses everything. I was, um, not doing well. And so I thought what I needed was a package of Oreos because that would tend my heart and bring some instant soothing. So I, I went into the store, bought the package of Oreos. I'm getting, I'm in the car. I haven't started the car, but I'm ripping over the package to get one in my mouth as soon as I can. But I, I, the car starts and the song comes on the radio and the man whispers in the song, let me be your hero. Hmm. Okay. I'm making this up and I knew exactly that is actually a song. I'd never heard it before. Wow. Okay. All right, God. And this is what I said. If you can do better than an Oreo, then I really want to give you the opportunity. Like, so I, I think he really likes that. 
Yeah, that's so neat. That's so neat. We already talked about the word cultivate, um, but there's a whole chapter in the book, uh, and as you race toward the end of the book, about this idea of how choosing joy is necessary. You quote Henry Nouwen on that, but then cultivating joy. What what are a couple things for listeners that you can say to cultivate joy and the importance of choosing? I guess two questions there together. Okay, well, I'll give you the, if I can't get to another one, the very, very, very most important one is to the cultivating uh, a heart that is grat- grateful. And the way we do that is with remembering. We're exhorted through the scriptures to remember the Lord your God, remember the things that he has done. And that really is a cultivator to joy, to go re- remember uh, remember when that was that last time and it was awful and yet God came through or remember how you were protected from even worse things happening. It's, it's a, it's a push towards it. Um, but it is gratitude that unlocks joy. That God even created our brains in such a way that we can't experience joy or know that rooted settledness without a posture of thankfulness preceding it. So that is something that we have to cultivate. And I know that there's things like thankfulness journals or writing a list. And um, maybe maybe a person's not in a place where they can do that. You know, maybe they're like, I don't have anything that I'm thankful for right now. What I like to encourage people to do is then think about what they like. Um, I like coffee in the morning. I like the sound of children laughing. I like the smell of grass once it's mowed. Like once we start thinking about things that we like, the list can grow. Yeah, it's and a sneaky, a sneaky way of getting uh, getting ourselves to be thankful. Because the minute I think about anything, I like it, I'm thankful for it. It's exactly you go with the things you like, and at the end, go, I'm thankful for it. So even just to get in a habit of that. As much as you can. I used to set my alarm on my clock for 10 and 2. Now I have it at the outpost. It's set for 10 and 2. And it's, it's Oh, you guys, you guys have those huge bells that ring. I was bells. having yeah. lunch with Morgan and I jumped out of my chair. <laughs> I thought I was in St. Patrick's Cathedral. We're in a monastery. We have the bells that come on at 10 and 2 to invade, to say, God, you have the right to invade our lives at any moment. But, but what it is for me is a time to check in mm-hmm. and it used to just be two o'clock and then, uh, and then what, what do I like? What am I thankful for? And it really can be a paradigm shift because I can be thinking not great thoughts or maybe I'm just consumed in the duties and the responsibilities, the very real pressures that I'm living with or the people I'm caring for and to have just, okay, yes. And in this, what else am I thankful for? And it really is a shift of heart. It, it, it's a really tangible thing that people can do that, that does expand our capacity to know joy. You know, these are obviously ancient practices as old as the scriptures yes. um, and certainly reflective of God's heart and our design. But it's interesting how so many of these things have become uh, clinical protocols, like in secular addictions uh, treatment, they'll encourage people to get gratitude journals and things like that that you mentioned. But in um, Romans 1, it says that the result of the people who had stopped giving thanks was that they became addicted. When they stopped giving thanks, that's when they pushed the truth down, and that's when they turned to images and things like that. So it's fascinating yeah. to me that the scriptures really do uh, reflect 
the way that life works in this regard. They really know what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's interesting. We can't produce joy, but we can choose it and we can cultivate it. And joy seems like, uh, again, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, but that it's the antidote to so many of the issues, problems, or struggles that we have. Like it's the antidote to depression. It's the antidote to addiction. It is. It's the antidote to everything that would steal it, to comparison, to having your life spiral down. And um, and I think it's important, I just want to note again, that the book is on joy, but it's really on defiant joy. It's really uh, about taking a stand against the sentences that are coming against us at all times. When I first became a Christian, I used to wear, before a Christian, a woman's sign with a fist in it. But the act of saying no to what's wrong, to saying no to this is actually not the way God intended it to be, is a very good stance. And to say yes to how do you want me to be living and what am I supposed to be experiencing? Then yes to that and no to these other things that want to steal it or crush it or say it's not possible. And that's where the defiance comes in. So this has been such a delightful conversation and um, I can't wait for people to, at least the listeners of the Restoring Soul podcast to learn more about the book. And I'm so glad that they got to experience your heart. Thanks, Michael. So good to be with you. You've been listening to Restoring the Soul with Michael John Cusick, produced by Brian Beatty and supported by generous listeners like you. To learn more about our life-changing intensive counseling process for couples and individuals, visit RestoringTheSoul.com.